0: This morning, I want to introduce to you someone who is very to me, uh, a very dear friend. His name is Pastor Anthony Forgeone. Would you give him a, a St. Mark welcome as he comes forward? <laughs> Anthony is the pastor of Our Savior New York, located in Queens, New York City. It also happens to be the, the pastor, the church rather, that... that I pastored just before taking the call to come to St. Mark. And and Anthony is is a dear friend, not just because he's a wonderful guy, but also because he just has such an incredible story that I feel so privileged to, in a small way, be a part of. When I I started at OSNY in 2012, Anthony was was a parishioner there, um, attended just about every week, Uh, not not terribly involved, but a little involved, uh, because you were you were so busy in your job as a New York City public school teacher, right? Tell me about it. That's right, <laughs> that's right. But but over the course of years, you know, Anthony became a dear friend and then got very involved in the church, became an elder and a leader in the church. And then shortly before I came to St. Mark, he entered a process at the seminary leading towards ordination to become a pastor. And then just after I arrived here, he was ordained and became the pastor at Our Savior New York and Queens. He's now the pastor of his home church that he grew up in. And he's doing an incredible job, uh, because as you might know, it's not been easy over the last two years to mm-hmm. pastor a church in New York City. You know, Anthony, the last time you were with us, two years ago, something interesting happened, like the moment you got home from visiting us two years ago. What happened?
1: Yeah, so I was here, I think it was like March 7th, 2019. Uh, and 2020.
0: 2020,
1: That's 2020 right. right? The last few years are just a blur. <laughs> Uh, But when we got back home, my wife and I were uh, faced with the pandemic's arrival uh, in the city. Uh, And then a couple of days after, the city kind of just shut down. And then we went on about an eight to ten month hiatus with no corporate worship, where we were just worshiping online. I was preaching to a camera, which is pretty lonely. Uh, And um, just recently, actually, over the past month, yeah. Uh, has our city lifted the mandates for mask wearing in uh, public places. So we're just starting to see some people who I haven't seen in two and a half to three years come back to church and people feeling more comfortable That's about right. gathering uh, in corpor- or for corporate worship. So That's yeah, right. it's it, been it, a challenge.
0: Yeah, to say the very least. And you, you've done a really wonderful job leading through it. You know, it's 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 hard without a global pandemic to pastor a church in a city like New York you know the average size of a church within the five boroughs of New York City is 36 people that's the average size so so already it's difficult to have a sustainable ministry and then you put a pandemic on top of that and many churches close their doors and have not reopened them. But, but by God's grace and God working hmm. through your leadership, uh, OSNY has been able to stay open and is now kind of gathering back together. Uh, yeah. Anthony's here to, to share with us today, not just because he's a great preacher and a good friend, but because you know churches like St. Mark, we really have to partner with churches like OSNY. If the the Christian church is to have an outpost for the gospel in places like New York City, it's because partner congregations, and we see precedent for this throughout the New Testament, Mm. Paul's writings are replete with this. This was happening from the earliest days because churches like St. Mark, who are in a different setting and have different resources, they partner with churches like Anthony's and say, hey, we're going to make sure that you have everything you need to do this difficult work. And so uh, St. Mark is going to be giving a gift to OSNY uh, out of our missions budget. Um, And uh, I want to encourage you, however, as an individual to consider supporting uh, the mission of God in New York City by following the QR code that you see on the screen. It's also inside of your worship folder. You know, when you you have a, a small church in a city like New York, uh, even the smallest of regular recurring gifts means the world to you. Mm. I remember having someone that I didn't know from another part of the country when I was pastoring that church sign up to give us $20 a month. And I remember running upstairs, my, 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 my office was downstairs, I remember running up to my wife and being like, you won't believe what just happened. Somebody that I don't know has signed up to give OSNY $20 a month. That is huge. Oh. It, it makes all the difference it in does. the world. Not just the financial piece, but just to know that you're not alone. Yeah because it can be really lonely. So I I encourage you to to pray about that. Follow those links, scroll down, and you can set up a gift that goes directly to this church doing their work. Let me pray for you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friend. I thank you for the man that he's become and the work that he's doing. I thank you for... Uh, Your your ability to sustain uh, our Savior New York and Anthony over the last two years, and we pray that your your, your power would continue to be felt by them and flow through them into the difficult work that they do of sharing the gospel in that great city. Lord, we, we thank you that we get to hear from Anthony now, and we ask that your spirit would be at work, stirring in our hearts through your word as he preaches. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Matt. Well, good morning again, St. Mark's. Uh, as Matt said, my name is Pastor Anthony. I'm the pastor over at Our Savior New York in Rego Park, Queens, which is about 20 minutes outside of Manhattan on the train. Uh, there are still some Christians left in New York City, uh, I being one of them. Um, and they're not all pagans, like 75% are. Uh, but thank you uh, for allowing me to be Uh, to share God's Word with you this morning. Uh, I'm blessed, honored, I'm I'm grateful to to be here. Uh, You're currently in a series on prayer entitled The Lord's Prayer. Uh, Prayer can oftentimes be an enigma to us, right? We know that it's something that we should be doing, like I know I should be going to the gym, but I never do that. Uh, It's something we should be doing more of, but we don't always know where to begin with it. Right? There's just so much. Uh, what should we even be praying about? Uh, there's so much going on in our personal lives. There's so much going on in the world around us. Where do we even start? Well, gratefully, Jesus actually offers us a guide. He offers us a model for, be, for us to be able to pray and for our prayer lives. And as we study the Lord's Prayer, we get a better sense of how and what we ought to pray for. But also, we learn more about the God that we are praying to, as well as the life that he has called us to live as his people. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about the most central petition of the Lord's Prayer, what you would argue is perhaps the core of the Christian faith, the fifth petition of Jesus' prayer. As it's written in Matthew 6, verse 12, it reads, And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. When I mentioned the word debt, I'm sure some of you started to sweat a little bit, right? Debt is a word that has some very negative connotations in our country. It's something that we are all too familiar with. We could never seem to catch up on our mortgage payments, our auto payments, and student loans, as they say in New York. Forget about it. Eight out of nearly every ten Americans has some type of consumer debt. I'm one of them. The average amount of debt that the American has who has debt is roughly $155,000. I am not one of them, thank God. The amount of accumulated debt that Americans have incurred has surpassed $15 trillion. I'm not going to depress you anymore. I'm done with the financial picture. You get it. Now, what if one day Uncle Sam told you that all of your debt was forgiven? And I'm not talking about like, you know, that kind of, oh, you could file for bankruptcy and the world will still love you. No, not that kind of black mark. I'm talking about a freedom, absolutely forgiven, I mean, can you imagine how people would be partying? People would be throwing block parties. Yo, we've been forgiven of all of our debt. I'd take the 27 Houston Astros World Series Parade and multiply it by a million, or what I'd like to envision is when the Mets win the World Series one day before Jesus comes back, hopefully, like that kind of party. Now, Jesus talks about a similar scenario here in one of his many parables. And he's discussing uh, his... And God's grace with Peter and Jesus tells this story in this parable to his disciples to help them understand and elaborate upon this idea in the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors Now Jesus begins the parable in Matthew 18 verse 23 And he begins the way he begins most of his parables, saying, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, he says, a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So again, as Jesus' parables so often do, they begin with him telling us that story that I'm going to tell you so that you can understand better about how my kingdom works. Not the way the world works, but the way that I work, my kingdom works, which is a countercultural kingdom. Now, one of these servants who the king calls to settle accounts with owes 10,000 talents. And I'm not talking about like he could juggle or something like that. It's not a good type of talent. A talent was a form of currency or an amount that during that time was the equivalent of seven million or several million dollars. could have been seven million, actually. Seven million dollars. Now, I can only imagine this guy must have had a few vices. He might have been on that Caesar's Sportsbook app booking up and going a little too crazy with that, the parable simply tells us that there was no way that this servant was going to be able to pay. It says he could not pay. But the servant has a justified consequence coming his way. Matthew 18, verse 25, as Jesus tells the story, he says his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. Oh, from his knees, with much remorse, this servant desperately begs for more time. He says, just give me a little bit more time. I'll be able to pay back everything. I'll be able to pay back the last penny. The king's there listening to him, kind of saying, dude, you owe several million dollars. The king says, you know what? I'm going to do you one better. Matthew 18, verse 27. And out of pity for him, The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. This enormous debt, which the servant realistically was never able to pay back. He was never going to be able to pay this back. It's forgiven. The whole thing is forgiven. It's not like the servant and the king make an agreement or a compromise. Give me back 50%. It's okay. The whole thing is forgiven. You see, when it comes to our relationship with God, we are just like this servant in debt. Right? We've run up our credit with him way too much. We've had too many IOUs with God. And there's no way that we can repay our debt to God and earn our own freedom. The scriptures are clear. The consequence of our moral debt of sin From the saintliest of saints to the most despicable of criminals is much too high for us ever to pay back. We realistically can't pay it back. Scriptures tell us that the price of our moral debt is death. So, our, our only hope, much like this servant, is to appeal with a repentant heart to a Father who is gracious and forgiving. You see, Jesus tells us this story to show us that forgiveness has no limits to those who repent. That might seem like a radical idea to you, and it is, and that's because the gospel is radical. Forgiveness has no bounds and limits in Christ Jesus for those who repent. Like this servant, we come before God on our knees, we beg, and we plead. We say, I will get this right, Lord. I will do better. I'll pay you back all I owe. Whatever works of merit I can gather up and do, I'll make it right. But our generous father mercifully responds. He says, it's already been paid. I will suffer your debt. I will incur it. I will take the loss for you. Our insurmountable moral debt has been wiped away. It has been canceled because it has been charged to Jesus on the cross. He paid it all for you. Now, for the sake of the servant in this parable, I really wish this parable ended right here. But if many of you know, it doesn't. Let's pick back up in Matthew 18, verse 28. So the same servant, right? Jesus goes on and says, but when that same servant, the one who had just been forgiven, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Another thing that we say in New York City when people are acting like a little out of control, yo, he be bugging. He's he's straight bugging. This same servant, who has just been forgiven millions, is unwilling to forgive the debt of another that is thousands of times less than what he owed. And it so happens that this servant who has come before him cries out for mercy. He pleads for pardon the same way that he did with the king prior. But he refuses. He throws the servant in prison. Tells him, you won't be released until you pay the last penny, until the whole debt is repaid. The one who is forgiving, or the one who is forgiven, is unforgiving. The one who has been forgiven is unforgiving. As fellow bystanders and witnesses in the story see what's happened, they realize that this, seems, this just seems unjust, this doesn't feel right. So they confront the king to tell him, they bring it to his attention, and he responds with this frustration, with this anger, with the level of disappointment. Matthew 18, verse 32, Jesus concludes the story saying this, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked sw- I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow citizen or servant as I had mercy on you? The king retracts his former decision, throwing the unforgiving servant into prison until all of his debt has been paid. And Jesus brings this parable full circle. He brings it right back home to us. He says, this is what this means for you. Verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Yikes. Throughout this story, Jesus is teaching us that since we've received abundant grace from God the Father, that we are now called to go and share that same level of grace with others. The first servant had been forgiven of everything. So he should have responded by forgiving all the debt that was owed to him. But the unforgiving servant here, he walked away from the king's forgiveness with a heart that was completely unchanged by the grace that he received. See, the one who has been forgiven much should much forgive. The one who has been forgiven much should much forgive. When someone sins against us, offends us, regardless of what the damage might be, Jesus is saying that we should be eager to forgive them because we in ourselves were once great debtors before God. Well, how's that working out in your life? I'll speak for myself for a moment. Not well. It's it's hard to do. Here's what I know about forgiveness forgiveness is easy to receive, but it's hard to give. It's easy to receive it but it's hard to give it out. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, in this prayer, we aren't just asking, and I think this so often overshadows this fifth petition. We're not just asking for the fullness of the Father's grace to come to us. That's one part of this petition that God the Father would shower his grace upon us. But we aren't just asking for that. We're also requesting the Father's help to be like the Son, to be like Christ in forgiving those who have grievously trespassed against us. Now, to offer some clarity on this, because I think we can tend to see this fifth petition as being a conditional statement. In other words, if you do this, then I'll give you that. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't suggesting that the Father forgives us because we forgive others. Forgiveness is not a meritorious work. Rather, what Christ is saying is that you and I, we can freely forgive others because we have already been forgiven by the Father through the Son's death and resurrection. Since we've been released from all of our moral debt by Christ on the cross and the empty tomb, now we get to go and forgive all the moral debt that is owed to us. I want to just bring this idea to life to you in a a real-life example. This is a true story. Some of you have heard the name Corrie Ten Boom, very well-known name throughout history. She was a Dutch Christian writer was a, a public speaker with a, just an incredibly riveting story. During World War II, the Ten Boon family saved an estimated 800 Jewish lives from the Holocaust. Her father, did Corey, owned a watch shop. And it was a brownstone. It had several floors. And what the family did was they took in these Jews who were going to essentially end up in concentration camps or prisons... And they hid them in the rooms above their father's watch shop in Haarlem, Netherlands, which is very close to Amsterdam, as a matter of fact. Now, the Ten Boon family actually came from a devoted Dutch Reformed Christian background. They sought to live out their faith by protecting and saving the lives of God's people. They were willing to risk their own lives to save the life of others on February 28, 1944, the Gestapo came knocking on the door of the Ten Boon residence. The Gestapo had received information from an informant that there was something funky going on in that house. They raided the Ten Boon home, they arrested the entire family, all ten of them, and they sent them to prisons and concentration camps. Corey Ten Boom was the only family member to survive the Holocaust. One out of ten who lived to tell the story. And she was actually sent to one of the most notorious concentration camps, that of Ravensbruck. And she only survived on a clerical error. Years later, as Corey Ten Boom's faith grew and she became a speaker, follower of Christ and spoke about it very openly. She was asked to speak at a church in Munich, Germany. Hits kind of home for her. Corey came face to face with one of the former prison guards of Raven- Ravensbrück. Now understand, there's no coincidences in God's kingdom, right? There's no mistakes in God's kingdom. She, she came to preach a sermon on forgiveness, and in the pews was a prison guard from the very concentration camp that her feet walked through with the memories that she had and the images. She came face to face with this man after just delivering a message on God's forgiveness. The prison guard soon realized after she was speaking who it was that was speaking, who he was standing in front of. After the service, he came over to her and he personally asked for her forgiveness. He did so with words, but also by extending his hand. Please forgive me. Now, I, I know how you might anticipate Corey's reaction here, because I anticipated perhaps the same thing, that Corey was going to respond and say, you know what, come on, bring it in. Show me some love. You're forgiven. I love how honest... Real and raw, Corey's responses. She's just given a sermon on the forgiveness of God, and she is now presented with this opportunity to show God's forgiveness to another, and she struggles. What she did is, she stepped over to the side, and collected. This was an emotional experience. She took a deep breath. And she started to pray. She prayed that the Holy Spirit would give her the strength in this moment to be able to actually pr- do what she just preached to forgive the debt that was committed against her. Right before the former camp guard, she stepped aside and prayed. She asked for the strength to be able to forgive. And through prayer, through the Spirit, Corey was able to have the courage to forgive. And she accepted the former guard's extended hand. Was it easy for her to forgive? <laughs> no. She stepped out. She had to collect herself in her mind and her thoughts and her emotions. She needed to pray for strength from the Spirit to be able to forgive. Was it easy? No. Was it possible? Yes. She did it. See, all things, even the power to forgive the most atrocious of sins, are possible through Christ. So in our own daily lives, as we pray, we pray not just for the humility to confess all of our sins, but to also pray for the strength to be able to forgive others who have sinned against us and fulfill the will of God. Amen. Now let us pray the words of the prayer that our Son, Jesus Christ, or God's Son, Jesus Christ, taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.